In this episode of Artsy Engineering Radio, I talked to David Sheldrick about how to approach a really big project. In our case, it was the Artsy Android app, but David shares some lessons about breaking problems down and finding risks that are applicable to any big project. Hope you like the show. Hey friends, welcome to another episode of Artsy Engineering Radio. I'm your host today, Steve, and I am here with my friend, David. David, do you want to say hi and introduce yourself? Hi, yeah, I'm David. I've been at Artsy for about three years now, uh, working mostly on the mobile app. And um, doing a pretty bang up job on the mobile app for what it's <laughs> worth. Thanks. And honestly, honestly, David, that's what I want to talk to you the most about today is your work on the mobile app, especially the fact that, well, Artsy has had an iOS app for quite some time built with React Native, which seems like you know, if we've got a React Native mobile app, that we would also have an Android app to go along with it. But we didn't. It took us a long time to get it. So that's really what I want to talk about with you. So maybe you could take a step back a little bit and kind of give us a, a history of our, our React Native project. Sure. So Artie actually started with just a pure iOS mobile app mm. uh, written in Objective-C. And... React Native was added about four years into the project at about in a early 2016. And it was added in such a way that we could write individual parts of the app in React Native, but it would mostly just be the UI and a little bit of state management that would be then used from the main Objective-C app. So it was a brownfield React Native app. Mm -hmm. And over time, we added more and more screens in React Native and converted a few of the existing iOS screens to React Native as well. And eventually we got to a place where we thought we want an Android app. So, you know, to reach Android users. And what is it going to take for us to get there? Which I think mm. is what we're going to be talking about. Yeah, definitely. Were you involved in the kind of that uh, conversion of, or the introduction of React Native to the to Eigen? Or did that all pretty much happen before you were around? Yeah, that was before my time, by a couple of years. Okay. And then I imagine that you did get your hands on some, like especially at the beginning, you were in there doing some some new React Native stuff, even with a whole lot of iOS or native Objective-C code to go along with it. Yeah, my first project working on the mobile app was converting the artwork page, which is, I think, our most viewed page. Mm -hmm. It's either the artwork page or the artist page, but probably the artwork page. And yeah, that was a fairly large project because it's got a lot of, there's a lot of rendering logic based on what data that we have about a particular artwork, whether it's in an edition set and there's complicated interactions like deep zoom on, on artwork images mm -hmm. so that people can see the fine detail of an artwork. And yeah, that took us a few months. So that was my first exposure to the Artsy app. Sure. We talked a little bit about addition sets uh, on a previous episode of yeah. of this podcast, as it's like a thing that we always kind of forget exists until we get really close to launching something, and then it's like, oh, we forgot addition sets. Yeah, it took me a good couple of weeks to to understand even what they are. Yeah, exactly. So at some point, I think we decided that we were going to try to do more things in React Native versus natively in Objective C. 
And I'm curious if you have any context on like why that happens. Like what was the driving force to start moving towards doing everything in, in React Native? I think the driving force was productivity. Mm-hmm. Artsy had a lot of web web engineers who were completely unable to contribute to an Objective-C app. And the experiment that happened in 2016 of adding React Native showed that we could take these people with web skills and get them being productive on React Native app pretty quickly and shipping features. And at some point, I think around the time I joined, there was an explicit discussion about which language we want to write future code in. Mm-hmm. And at the time, there was a bit of Swift, a bit of Objective-C, a bit of React Native, and we decided that pretty much all feature work should be done in React Native. Swift should be not worked on, only maintained. <laughs> and Objective-C should be used for any kind of native features that we need. For example, we added an augmented reality feature to let people see artworks in their, in their own homes. Mm-hmm. And that was done in Objective-C. You really couldn't do that in React Native at the time. Right. Is that something that we would be able to do now in React Native, do you think? I think that is still a fairly experimental area. I've definitely seen people doing computer vision stuff with TensorFlow.js or maybe using native bindings. So yeah, I think it would definitely be more doable today than it was sure. back in 2018. Cool. That's good news. So we have this iOS app and we start moving towards React Native. As a JavaScript developer myself, I really appreciate the decision to RC's decision to do everything in React Native instead of Swift, because it means that I can actually contribute to the project, which is cool. Now that we're headed down that path, I know since I started at Artsy, like I had been hearing us talk about the idea of an Android app, but not much more than talk. However, in the last, I don't know, how, when, when did you really start thinking about this? In, in the last year or so, year or two, you drove a lot of work to actually go ahead and build an Android app in our React Native code base. And honestly, it's impressive, like the amount of work that you had to do to set us up for that. So I'm just kind of curious if you wanted to just talk about how you how you approached this project. Like it's huge. Even before I joined, there was kind of a, an understanding that one day we would have an Android app. And that was mm, yeah. part of what React Native was about. And then about 18 months ago, someone said, oh, you should write a technical plan for what it would take to make Android happen. Because I, I talked about it in you know meetings and knowledge shares about what we would need to do. Mm-hmm. And I converted all those thoughts into a technical plan. And I think you've talked about technical plans on this podcast as well. Yep, we have a little. Yeah. A written document that describes what you want to do to achieve a particular technical goal. In this case, making an Android app happen. And... It was a quite a high-level plan, you know, because it's a huge project. There's way too much to go into detail on. Right. But we had outlined a couple of different strategies that it would be possible to take to bootstrap an Android app uh, with different trade-offs. One of them was just, you know, start writing a new app from scratch in React Native. Maybe we could use the existing React Native components that we had in TypeScript, but probably not because they had some dependencies on existing application infrastructure that was written in Objective-C. But that would have probably gotten us an Android app quicker than what we did. Right. But it would have fragmented the code base. So you'd have to write everything twice. And it would, just, it would be in a separate Git repository as well. So when you're implementing a new feature, you have to touch multiple repositories. And we decided that it would not be 
effective long term to do that. Yeah. Well, the approach that we decided that we wanted to pursue was to gradually refactor the existing parts of our app code bases to make them look more like a normal React Native app. The, the kind of app that you get when you run the project initialization script. Yeah. So yeah, that tech plan was about 18 months ago, and there was a lot of discussion about it, but we still didn't really have exec buy-in. By exec, I mean uh, the CEO, basically. <laughs> right. There was no mandate from leadership to say, yes, please start building the Android app now at that point. Right. That came about six months later. Uh, I'm not sure what the delay was, but at that point, we then kind of converted the tech plan into more fine-grained steps. But even between those two points, because we had this idea of a strategy to pursue, we could actually find parts of that strategy which were even beneficial to building just the iOS app on, it, on its own. Like even if we never made an Android app, the kind of infrastructural refactorings that we did during that time really helped improve the developer experience of the app for people who just build on iOS. Yeah, that makes sense. That feels like one of those things, you know, like accessibility where just making these changes, it, it, while it has, you know, a specific audience that it might be targeted to towards, it just makes it better for everybody. Yeah. I think one of our most impactful things that we did was to combine the repositories that were involved in making the Artsy app before. We had two. So there was the Objective-C app, and then we had all our React Native stuff in a separate repository mm -hmm. where all the TypeScript code lived, a little bit of Objective-C code, and then that was vended as a CocoaPod, which the iOS app consumed like a normal CocoaPod dependency. Right. So that meant that doing a lot of development, you would have to update two repositories at once. It was kind of difficult to work on both at the same time, like to link them together when you were doing development. So we combined the two re repos and simplified the development workflow a ton. Yeah. Yeah, that was really helpful when we did that. I think we did a similar thing on the the website at one point also where, you know, we had too many services in my yeah. opinion. Like for the development workflow, it was just like it was just too much to try to link all these things together to just make it one one project was was really nice for for developer workflow. Yeah. And then after that uh, we eventually got mandate to start explicitly planning and working on the Android app. Mm -hmm. And we broke down the kind of the remaining chunks of the technical plan into smaller bits. Uh, and that basically amounted to infrastructural changes and converting Objective-C uh, user flows into TypeScript user flows. Sure. Um, so we had a few major user flows in Objective-C, like onboarding and live auctions. And we decided that we wanted to start working on the onboarding stuff first, or that at least that's what product said that they wanted to happen. <laughs> I think product, you know, they think of user needs ahead of everything else, which of course they should. Yeah. But realistically, we had all these infrastructural changes that need to happen before that even made sense to think about. Sure. So. We also broke down the infrastructural changes. There were things like navigation, environment configurations, push notifications, all those kinds of native integrations that you, you that are difficult to do. Yeah. At least difficult to refactor because they touch the entire app. Yeah. I think when I think about 
PRs pushed up by you. I think of those kinds of PRs that are like refactoring in a cross-cutting way that touches basically everything in the app. <laughs> yeah. And it's always like, those are very courageous types of pull requests to open. And that kind of work is, I mean, we couldn't do it without that, that kind of work. And I'm curious, I guess, like when you, when you approach those cross-cutting things and you've got this huge refactoring that needs to happen, is there any way that you can break that work down or, or how do you, how do you handle that kind of PR? Do you just like, is this the thing that you bang your head on for weeks or is it a thing that you come back to every now and then, or you're able to break those things down into small pieces? Some of them could be broken down into small pieces. Some of them really couldn't, especially the navigation. Mm -hmm. So that was a, definitely a, a situation where I had to bang my head against the wall for a few weeks. <laughs> um, and you know, the reason is that we we don't want to block people doing product work by having a broken app right. for a few weeks while, while I do everything in incremental chunks. And also, we, we don't want to have these long-lived PRs that people have to review over and over again. So, yeah, I broke them down as much as I could. But, yeah, like you said, there were a few big PRs that touched basically the entire app. And I got very good at QA mm -hmm. every screen in the app. <laughs> did you, how, did you, uh, how did you get very good at QAing? Did you have a script or anything or any automation to help you with that? Or was it uh, you just kind of started to memorize these workflows and, and work through it yourself? Yeah, well, I had a list of, there's, there's a list of all the screens in the app, in the app code base itself because of how we register screens. And what I would do is just go through every screen, check that they all render properly, check that the interactions work. So there wasn't, there was no, it was all manual. There was no scripting. But once you learn how to navigate the particular parts of the app, it becomes pretty quick. Right. Almost second nature. A lot of, a lot of good muscle memory in that, I imagine. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I was wondering if maybe you could talk uh, maybe at a higher level about breaking this problem down. You know, we, we talked about how you, you were able to identify these, these cross-cutting concerns like redoing the nav and et cetera. But I'm curious if you have any more insight on what it took to, to break that work down. That's a really good question. We definitely took a deep knowledge about how things work and also had to do research by going into the code base and looking at how things fit together and how they need to fit together at the end of the refactoring sure. and identify risks in, involved in those things. Like, is this going to break this other part of the app if we do this? Is there anything we can do to, to find out if there are unknowns? Mm -hmm. So a lot of the time we would do little spikes during this planning work. But yeah, mostly it's just code spelunking and app spelunking. So actually using the app to figure <laughs> out how things work. A lot of the time we were finding bugs during that process as well. Yeah. But I imagine, you know, it's a little bit of a nice feeling knowing that nobody's actually using this this Android app yet. And so those kinds of bugs that are affecting Android only are easy to to maybe prioritize and, and try to get the the big infrastructural stuff done first. Mm -hmm. Cool. So one of the things, one of the technologies that I know that we are big on here at Artsy is TypeScript. And I'm curious uh, if that was a factor in any of this um, kind of breaking the problem down and, and rewriting things. How did that affect? How did that affect how you thought about what needed to be done? That's another really good question. So a lot of the time <laughs> we were refactoring Objective-C code into TypeScript. Sure. And I've been using TypeScript for a long time, so it was fun for me to be able to take someone else's code, which is you know always worse than your own code, 
and then make something <laughs> and then make something that I felt clean things up a lot. Sure. For example, we have routing code. Well, the way that we navigate around the app is by using URLs mm -hmm. uh, so that it's compatible with our website. And we have routing infrastructure. Right. They, yeah. they match. Yeah. The routes match between the app and the website. Yeah. And we have routing infrastructure to decide which screens to show for particular routes. And that had all been done in a fairly kind of ad hoc way over time with the Objective-C code. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that happens. That's how applications evolve over time. But then we had this nexus point where we were converting it all to TypeScript, and that gave us a lot of scope to clean it up, make it really nice, make it easy to extend, make it just kind of resilient to change or to resilient to bugs. Mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah, so that, that's an example sure. of where TypeScript helped. Yeah, uh, and for what it's worth, when I do have a type problem, you are the person that I immediately think about asking. <laughs> so. Uh, just speaking to your your expertise with TypeScript there. Oh, thanks. You mentioned the word resilient there in uh, talking about some of the changes that you made. Did it feel good as you were going through this process to just feel like you were able to make improvements in that way? So, so like to, you know, not just going through this, it sounds like you weren't just converting things over to work for Android. It was also making improvements so that, you know, our Android work and our iOS work would all benefit from from those changes. Yeah, exactly. There was, a, there was a few other places where that happened. For example, the state management. Mm. Again, the all the state management uh, in iOS was just in various different places using different approaches. And also in TypeScript, we had a few little bits of state management that we managed to clean up as well and consolidate everything into one single source of truth. Mm -hmm. It's really nice infrastructure for doing testing and and yeah, it just we had a lot of opportunities like that to really simplify the developer experience, make the app more robust. Mm -hmm. Cool. We are definitely going to all of us at Artsy are going to be thankful for those changes. So thank you. I imagine as you were going through this that there were a lot of risks that you would run into, and I am wondering how you you mentioned earlier that just having a lot of app knowledge knowledge about this app was maybe helpful, but are there any other things that were helpful for, for finding risks throughout this process? So yeah, one of the things that we did to reduce risk was to cut scope. There's a few features of the iOS app, which are implemented in Objective-C and which we don't necessarily need for an MVP Android launch. Mm -hmm. For example, the uh, augmented reality thing I mentioned earlier. And we just decided to not make that for Android. Yeah. And that was a nice nice way to cut down risk because, you know, we've never done augmented reality on Android before. That probably would have been a huge project. <laughs> Another thing was we didn't want to launch an Android app that felt like an iOS app. Yeah. You know, there are UI patterns that only make sense on iOS and there are UI patterns that only make sense on Android. And we wanted to make sure that we weren't getting those mixed up. Um, so we did some research on how Android UI works to make sure that we weren't going to be doing anything that felt bad for Android users. Mm -hmm. Did you incorporate a designer in that also? Were there, were there some resources that we were able to take advantage of from that they were able to help us with? Maybe they had a sense of what would be good patterns to use and what wouldn't? 
Yes. So when I said we did that research, what I meant was a team, which included a designer, <laughs> uh, Sam, yeah. who I, who uh, has left the company. I really miss her. So yeah, she did some great work finding navigation patterns that would make sense on Android and what we needed to change. Sure. Cool. What went wrong in this process? Because I imagine lots of things did. Yeah, a few things went wrong. With big infrastructure <laughs> changes comes a big potential for breaking stuff. Uh, one thing that we broke a couple of times was the deep link behavior. So when you receive a deep link from a push notification, or when you receive a push notification and you tap it, it opens the app via a deep link, which takes you to a particular screen. And a couple of times, because we were making all these changes to the navigation infrastructure, actually broke the deep linking behavior. Mm -hmm. um, we, we obviously test it during our QA sessions, but we still broke it in ways that we weren't quite catching. We had a really big problem at one time when we were refactoring the environment variables and the environment configuration code, mm -hmm. where we, we have a staging environment and a production environment. And obviously the users use the production environment and we use the staging environment for development and testing. And we had it set up by accident so that it, when we deployed a version of the app, it forced all of our users who had downloaded that version of the app into the staging environment so that they were seeing <laughs> test data. Oh, no. <laughs> yes, it was a huge problem. No. And the, the only way that we could fix it was by releasing a new version of the app that fixed the problem and pushed users back into production. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that was frustrating. Was that... Uh... I feel, did that happen around the time that we started thinking a little bit more about kill switches for uh, old versions of the app? Yeah. I feel like there was maybe some work where I think it was around that time where we said, you know what, we really need to be better about being able to completely kill the app for people who have bad versions. That was exactly the thing that caused the, those discussions. <laughs> okay, cool. Then I'm remembering correctly. That's great. Yes. Any other things go wrong tremendously? Not tremendously. We had some small UI issues, especially around safe area inserts and things, because when you refactor navigation infrastructure, you change the way that screens are presented, and sometimes that can impact how they render. Sure. Our safe area insets, are is that related to like the notch thing at the top? Is that what that's about? Yeah. It's um, notches, and on Android, you have these little camera holes. Ah, uh, yes. And also, rounded corners can affect that as well. Ah, uh, sure. Of all those things that went wrong, do you, when you look back at this project, do you feel like it's reasonable to accept that these things would have gone wrong? Do you feel like more things went wrong than you expected, less things went wrong than you would have expected? Expectation is hard to judge because I've never worked on a project <laughs> like this before. I do wish that we'd done more thorough QA of some parts of the app before we deployed. Sure. Aside from the staging thing, there were no huge problems. It was mostly minor, minor rendering stuff and also maybe bugs in flows that users don't use very often because mm -hmm. we have a pretty thorough manual QA process. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, it could have been more thorough. And I think in the future, I would probably double down on manual QA. Mm, okay. You would prefer that to any sort of, is there, I don't even know what kind of automated QA you can do with a mobile app. I mean, I imagine since it's React Native, like we can have as many automated tests as we can get in there. Probably ways to test that on the native side too. But do you, you, you feel like that, that manual QA significantly was more successful than any automation we did? 
We haven't done any test automation. I mean, we have unit tests automated, but we don't have any mm -hmm. integration tests. You know, I'm thinking of like what people do on the web with Cypress. Right. Or um, what was that framework that people used before Cypress came along? Uh, it with a P. Um, Protractor no. is one of them. Uh, it's not the one I'm thinking <laughs> of. Anyway, yeah, we, we don't do kind of end-to-end -end tests that use the actual UI to trigger test cases. Mm-hmm because it's quite difficult to do in a non-flaky way. Sure. And yeah, I think manual QA, you get a lot more, you know, if the people have good eyes for design and, and user experience, then you get a lot more safety in terms of not deploying things that make users feel bad, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which I think is really important in mobile apps and everything, really. <laughs> Especially bubble apps. <laughs> And so that actually is something that I have learned about mobile apps in working uh, on a team with you for a mm. kind of short time. As a web developer, it's really easy for me to think like if I ship something to production, I can just really quickly undo it by reshipping. But that's not exactly a thing that could happen with a mobile app. And it's something that I always forget and then remember it um, as I think through problems. But like if I ship something in version 6.1.2 and then fix it in 6.1.3, there are still people who are going to have 6.1.2 who never update their app or don't update their app for months or something like that. So once the code is out there, it's out there. That's the thing I always forgot. Yeah, some people don't update their apps for years, in fact. <laughs> and, and I imagine we've seen that in our analytics. Yes. I don't know when the oldest version of the app that's currently in active use is, but it's at least two years. Yikes. I didn't even know it was possible to have a device that was two years old. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> okay, so David, I just want to say thanks for hanging out with me, and I'm seriously going to miss you. I didn't announce this earlier, but as the harbinger of doom on this podcast, I'm doing an episode here with you right as you're about to leave Artsy, which is really sad to me. So thank you for all the tremendous work that you've done here. And this Android project, like, can't, I can't even describe how big it is and how important it is to us. Well, thanks, Steve. I'm really going to miss Artsy and everyone who I've worked on the Android project, especially with. It's been one of the highlights of my career, for sure. Yeah, it's, uh, you did a great job. We appreciate it. Thanks. Cool. Uh, thanks for hanging out, David. Cheers, Steve. Thanks for listening. You can follow us on Twitter at Artsy Open Source. Keep up with our blog at artsy.github.io. This episode was produced by Asia Simpson. And thank you, Eve Essex, for our theme music. You can find her on all major streaming platforms. Until next time, this is Artsy Engineering Radio.